Good morning, men of Covenant Men's Bible Study. It's April the 8th, Wednesday, April the 8th, and I'll remind you that last night on Tuesday, April the 7th, at about a little bit after 9.30, the moon became full. That was the first full moon after the spring equinox, the first full moon of spring, April the 7th this year. Well, this coming Sunday is April the 12th. That will be the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. The first Sunday after the first full moon of spring. And that is how Easter is designated this coming Sunday, April the 12th, being Easter Day, first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox. Um, Today, Wednesday, April the 8th, is the first day of Passover week, and so this, we are in Holy Week, tomorrow, Maundy, Thursday, that word Maundy is spelled M-A-U-N-D-Y. It comes from the Latin mandatum, mandatum, from which we get the English word mandate, mandate, command from on high, mandate. And we refer to Thursday the night on which our Lord was betrayed, the night of His arrest, the night on which He celebrated the Passover with His disciples, now known as the Last Supper, during which He instituted the Lord's Supper, which is the New Covenant Passover, You remember the words of our Lord who said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sins. Jesus himself with those words declaring himself to be the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the Lamb of God who brings true liberation and deliverance and freedom, liberty from our great enemy, sin, Satan, and death itself. So you have to remember brothers this week, try to imagine, if you can, it's very difficult for us to do, very, very, very difficult for us to do. For example, you know, our Thanksgiving, National Thanksgiving Day holiday observance, well, we're what? 300 and something years out from that, and basically it's a, it's a day to watch football. I mean, it's, it's sort of declined into 
pretty much uh, not much significance in our American culture over the space of 300 and odd years, right? Now, get, think about the fact that the Jewish people had for 1,300 years, 1,300 uh, and upwards, 13 to 1,400 years annually had commemorated the Passover in Egypt at the time of Jesus. At the time of Jesus. 13, 50, 1400 years had passed. Every year, the Israelite people had observed Passover. The blood of the lamb being applied to the lentils of the doors, doorways, the angel of death passing over, the Lord himself passing over the houses marked by the blood and bringing death to the firstborn, otherwise throughout Egypt. 1,300 to 1,400 years of annual commemoration of that event. And then a man stands up at the table and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am the one to whom these 13 to 1400 years of annual celebrations have been pointing. I have arrived. The hour has come. I am the Lamb. It is by my blood that you will be set free from the bondage. The real Pharaoh of sin, Satan, and death itself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a man saying such a thing? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ said it, and we can believe it. We trust it. And that's our introduction now to this third lesson on Hebrews 11. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask in His name for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to open our minds with spiritual insight and discernment. discernment. We pray that you would open our hearts by your grace to receive your word in true faith 
and to believe what you say. O Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. O What a difference it would make if we would truly believe what you say. Help us by your grace, by your mercy, and for the sake of the glory of your name. Amen. Okay, my dear brothers and all those others out there in cyberland who are listening to this, uh, this is our third lesson on the 11th chapter to the letter or sermon to the Hebrews. And in previous lessons on Hebrews 11, uh, we began with that preliminary lesson in which we made clear that faith, biblical faith, true biblical Christian faith is, number one, not blind. It is not blind faith. It is faith by which we spiritually behold, that is, see Jesus Christ for who He really is, the glorious Son of God, superior over all powers. And by faith, we spiritually see the promises of God, the invisible promises of God as realities to be laid hold of. Faith is indeed not blind, but is a matter of spiritual sight. Number two, faith is not merely positive thinking. It is not optimism by means of human willpower, nor is it magic or a means of manipulating the deity. No, true Christian biblical faith is believing what God says in His clearly revealed Word. It might certainly bear the fruit of a more positive outlook and a more positive attitude as long as we take the long view into the promise of eternity because uh, biblical Christian faith is not simply a matter, not at all a matter of looking at the world or our lives or circumstances through rose-colored glasses, or with the delusion that because we are believers in Jesus, everything will always just be hunky-dory in uh, our lives, as though we would be immune from uh, the afflictions of living in this fallen world, and certainly we are not excluded. In fact, we are called into suffering for Jesus' sake. So faith is not blind, and faith is not merely a matter. It cannot be defined as positive thinking, positive attitude, or magic, 
or manipulation by, by which we say we have a strong enough faith that therefore God has to do such and such a thing. We, God is never our debtor and He is never obliged to do as we please. Alright, and then we got into the actual substance of Hebrews 11 last time. And I have got to confess to you and acknowledge that I overlooked one of the more foundational Old Testament passages which underlies Hebrews 11, particularly in its uh, discussion of the faith of Abraham. Now, remember when every time, I'm going to comment on that in just a minute, but I, I, I want to say, remember as we, as we jumped into the substance of Hebrew, Hebrews 11, we read this, uh, these words over and over and over again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more sac acceptable sacrifice than Cain. That's verse 4. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And then we come, by faith, verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And now verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, the point I want to make here is repeating uh, what we said last time. We really, to understand this passage, we need to understand that the words need to be inserted. By faith in the Word of God, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith in the Word or in the promise of God, Enoch was taken up. By faith in the command of God, in the Word of God, in the promise of God, Noah being warned by God, etc. And by faith, faith in the Word of God, faith in the promise of God, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And on and on and on it goes. When Hebrews 11 uses those two words together, by faith, it, you have to understand what the faith is in. It, it's, it's calling attention to faith in what God had told these particular individuals. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, all the way down the list. It, it's not calling attention simply to some uh, virtue within these individuals as though they did it on their own by the power of their own faith, right? It wasn't by, it wasn't by Noah's willpower that he persevered and built the, built the ark while all the world laughed at him. It, it wasn't when it says, by faith, Abraham went out from his own country. It, it's not like Abraham just, you know, well, he just went by faith whistling in the dark. That's not what it's saying. What, what it's saying, you have, to, you have to supply these words. By faith in the promise of God, 
Abraham went out. And, and that is a legitimate thing to do because as we go on through the passage, we find it in the Scripture itself. For example, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since, here we go, she considered, read it. I'm at verse 11, put your nose in a book, eyes on the words, say it out loud. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. There it is. Her faith wasn't in herself. Sarah's faith wasn't in herself. It wasn't her faith in herself, in her ability to conceive. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, no. By faith in Him who is able to do what He promised. Sarah conceived. Do you see that? Very, 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 very important. By faith in Him who is faithful to do what He promised, Sarah herself received power to conceive. So I just want to hammer this over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 11 isn't talking about faith in faith. It's not talking about faith in some in, inherent power in the, or virtue in these individuals themselves. It's talking about their response to the Word of God. It's talking about their belief. The fact that they believed what God said. Okay. All right. So, what I want you to do now, because I need to go back and backtrack, look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And then at verse 8, well, that is verse 8, right? Not knowing where he was going. And it goes on then uh, later at verse 17, by faith in God's promise, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Well, now these are echoing... Very important passage from Genesis 15, 6. This is where I'm trying to get to, get you to. So you're going to keep your hand at Hebrews 11. You're going to turn back to Genesis. Now Genesis comes before Exodus and after your table of contents. So Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And we're going to, uh, pardon my humor there, a little humor. You know me. Now... <clears throat> I want you to have your Bible open at Genesis chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. I want you to follow along. And this is after God had called Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land that he would show him. 
That occurs in Genesis 12, promised that he would be a blessing and through him all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And of course, he was an old man and his wife Sarah, Sarai was an old woman and she had been barren all of her life and so this was a promise that could not be fulfilled by natural human means. Exceedingly important. God had promised to do for Abram what only God could do. God promised to do for the world through Abram what only God could do. And the gospel is all wrapped up in this. In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is a declaration of the coming Savior who would come not only as the Redeemer of Israel, Abraham's physiological descendants, but in fact for all peoples of the earth. Right? So God had promised to do for Abram what only God can do, and there was Abraham, uh, still called by the name Abram, and all he had was a promise. That's all he had. Was an invisible promise. Now, and we're going to pick it up there at Genesis 15. I am not off subject. I am very closely connected in here to Hebrews 11, and you'll see that in a minute. Genesis 15:1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he, the Lord, brought Abram outside and said, Look heavenward and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And he, Abram, believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, everybody read it with me out loud. And he believed the Lord. Again, and he believed the Lord.
what's the point? Abram believed what God said. That's faith. That's faith. He wasn't believing in an abstract concept. He wasn't believing simply that, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose God could do this, you know, if He's almighty. No. There wasn't any philosophizing going on here. He believed the Lord. He believed what the Lord said. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And there you get the foundation in this verse for the biblical doctrine, truth, of justification by faith alone, believing what God has said. This is what God requires of us, to believe what He says, to take Him at His word, to thereby, on that basis, enter into a relationship of absolute trust, absolute dependence, which leads then to a response of obedience. But the starting point, the foundation point, is simply believing what God says. You get that? And he credited it to him as righteousness. This was the basis for Abraham's right standing with God. This was the basis, the ground for Abram's security in his covenant relationship, this personal relationship with the Lord. This was the basis, the ground for his security, his acceptance, his justification, his right standing with the Lord. Simply, that he believed what God said. He believed what God said. And therefore, he was secure in a relationship of absolute trust, absolute dependence, bearing the fruit Bearing the fruit of obedience. It wasn't his obedience to God's command by which he was justified. 
His obedience, his going out to a land which he did not know was not the basis of his relationship with God. That obedience was simply a fruit, a real fruit of his real faith in God, his belief in what God had said. That is a, that's a foundational passage for us, and it comes again to the fore in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. You could have guessed, couldn't you, that I would get you into the book of Romans once again. And so... There we are, Romans chapter 4. You still got your pen or your finger in Hebrews 11. You can let go of Genesis 15, 6 and turn over to Romans. Romans comes after Acts and before 1 Corinthians. I'm going to give you a few more seconds to get to Romans chapter 4. All right, here we go. Everybody look at Romans 4, verse 1. Get ready to read out loud. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Paul is referring to himself and to at least some in the Christian community in Rome who were Jewish by ethnicity. And probably hoping that some of his unbelieving Uh, Jewish uh, people in that community would sort of overhear this, as it were, because this is addressed to Jews, unbelieving Jews, as well as believing Jews in a way. But nevertheless, here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Read it out loud. Abraham believed God. Read it out loud. Abraham believed God. Read it out loud. Abraham believed God and, read it out loud, it was counted to him as righteousness. There it is. So the apostle Paul picks up Genesis 15, 6 and applies it to The gospel, how are we justified? We are justified by believing what God has said. This is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sins. That's what the Son of God said. Do you believe him? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe him? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? See, I'm not asking you to believe in the possibility of life after death. I'm not asking you to believe in maybe, maybe there is a place like heaven where everything is great and wonderful. I'm not asking you to believe something out there in the abstract. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to believe what God says. And yes, there is a heaven. I hope nobody misunderstood my little digression at that point. Yes, there's a heaven. How do we know? How do we know? Because God said so. That's how we know. That's how we know. To, de to, to depart and be with Christ is better by far. Do you believe God's word? That's what he said. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, truly, truly, I say to you, this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Well, if he said it to the repentant thief on the cross, he said it to you, hasn't he? If by repentance of sins and faith you have come to him and said, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Do you believe him? This is the issue. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. All right. And Paul goes on in Romans 4 uh, when it goes on to say his in, in verse 5, speaking of those who have faith, faith is counted as righteousness, justification. Of course, it goes on then, and he gets into Romans 5. We are justified by faith. And what that means is we're justified by faith in God, by, in faith in what God has said. We're not talking about merely the existence of God in the abstract or some faith in some higher being, higher power. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about faith in what the true and living self-disclosed God who has revealed Himself, who has spoken to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. You believe what He says. And I want to take you back to the very first verse now. I want to take you back to the very first... You see, what I'm trying to do is pin you to the mat. I want to take you back now to the very first verse of Hebrews. Now, so go back. Hebrews 1.1. Long ago... Are you there? Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Okay, God spoke in a, in a way very particularized, very special to Adam 
to Abel, to Enoch, to Abram, to Sarah, to Moses, to the prophets, to, to all, all of the old covenant fathers by the prophets, such as Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Habakkuk. And by the way, this, this verse, the righteous shall live by faith, comes from Habakkuk also. Habakkuk 2.4. Alright, God spoke through the prophets in long ago, in various and sundry ways, through Moses. And we call that special revelation. And, but it says, look, in these last days, now at the end of the Old Covenant, and now in the New Covenant, He has spoken to us by His Son. That's the key. He has spoken to us by His Son. Through the incarnation of the Son of God in human flesh and blood, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has spoken. And, in the New Covenant, this Son through whom God has spoken has communicated His Word and His will for His New Covenant people in Christ through the apostles, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the documents that comprise the New Testament. That is the Word of God. As much as the Old Testament, you see, what we have in the Old Testament, right, is the preservation of God's Word which He spoke to Adam, to Noah, to Moses, to Abraham. To David and to his people of the Old Covenant through the prophets. We have his word preserved in human language in the Old Testament. And we have his word, which he spoke, first of all, incarnating that word in the person of Jesus Christ in his earthly life and ministry who then commissioned the apostles and promised them, by the way, on the night of the Last Supper, on the night in which He was betrayed, He promised His disciples that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and would bring all things to their remembrance. John 14. Would bring all things to their remembrance and would even reveal more to them And we've got it. We've got that word inscripturated, written in human language, translated with great accuracy, preserved through the ages. We've got that word of Jesus Christ. And that was the self-understanding of the apostles That's the reason that they wrote with authority. 
Just read the letters of Paul and of John and the others. They wrote with authority and they wrote with a self-consciousness that what they were writing to the churches, to the believing communities, was to be received as the Word of God. Through Jesus Christ, under the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, as the commissioned ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Long ago, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And brothers and sisters, we have His Word in the New Testament and we're reading it right now. And the issue is, do we believe what God says? That's the issue. Well, let us press on. And, and I, think, <laughs> I think we're going to actually maybe get through this chapter today. But if we don't, if God wills, we'll be another Wednesday. All right, let's see where we are. Justification by faith alone is really not an abstract doctrinal concept. It's a matter of believing what God says. Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. All right, so let's jump, let's jump back to Hebrews 11, and we're going to jump in. I think we left over at about verse 20. So we're just going to run through this in a running commentary at this point. I've given your, you your theological foundation, and now we're just going to run through the, the exposition of these verses. Okay. I know that last week we touched on Abraham's offering up of Isaac. What a powerful and dramatic story that is. Again, foreshadowing and prefiguring for us the true reality on which we ought particularly to be meditating this week that God did not spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. All right, and then verse 20, by faith, that is, by faith in the covenant promise of God. Isaac. Isaac, who had been told by his father Abram about the covenant promise of God. Well, Isaac believed. He believed that word. And so by faith in the covenant promise of God, Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons, Jacob and Esau. By faith, by faith in what? By faith in the covenant promises of God, which had first been given to his grandfather Abraham and then to his father Isaac, and then had come to him, Jacob, even though he was the younger of the two. You remember that story. By faith in the covenant promise of God, by believing what God had said, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, one of his sons, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, by faith in what? By faith in the covenant promises of God, which had been given to his great-grandfather Abraham, to his grandfather Isaac, to his father Jacob, and then to him, generation to generation, the word of God being passed on. By faith in that same 
covenant promise which God had given to his great-grandfather Abram, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. He saw it by prophecy and gave directions concerning his bones. What does that mean? Well, he believed the promise that the land of Canaan would belong to his people. It didn't at the time. They're slaves in Egypt. How are you going to see that? How do you see it? You don't, it's an invisible promise. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's Joseph in Egypt. What does he do? By faith in the covenant promises of God, he tells his people, take my bones and bury them in Canaan. That's where I belong. On the day of resurrection, I'll be raised up and I will be home. How about that? Reckon that'll preach a little bit? All right. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, you've, you've got to see what's going on here in terms of the sin tax, that's S-Y-N tax, not a sin tax. Oh my goodness, no, S-Y-N-T-A-X, sin tax, construction of a sentence. The sentence isn't referring to the faith which Moses had when he was born. No. But for purposes of emphasis, by faith, Abram, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph. Well, he's going on now to, you know, into the next period of history, of Israelite history. So he wants to talk about Moses, but he just, he just, he's a preacher, right? He's a preacher. He's on a roll by faith, by faith, by faith. He's not referring to Moses' faith. He's referring to Moses' parents' faith, right? By Moses' parents' faith in the true and living God. And by the way, it had been passed down to them through the ages of believing people that in the beginning God created humanity in His own image. And that it was a crime against God to commit murder. They knew that. Why? How? They believed what God had said. And it had been passed down to them and they feared God instead of fearing Pharaoh. They hid their son. By faith, Moses, now it is referring to Moses, by faith, Moses, when it was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses grows up and has to make a choice 
and he makes his choice. But it's, I think what I want you to see here is think about how the first century Jewish Hebrew Christians would have heard this when they're being pressured to go back. They're being pressured to, to go back to their people, go back to what they're comfortable with, go back to the security of their life uh, in the Old Covenant Jewish community. You know, this, this pull to go back, just as there was a reference, you know, to Abram about there was this, you know, if he had wanted to go back, you know, he could have gone back, but he didn't. It's the same sort of pull. It's the, it's the pull you feel when you feel the, the pressures of the world and the, the social pressures of our highbrow community around here just wanting you to go along and get along. Right? Just go along. It's the pressures that, that we feel around us from the propaganda machine that, that constantly tells us that we're just a bunch of old Bible-toting rubes and we really need to get with the program and enter into the 21st century. It, it's the same sort of thing. We don't like to bear reproach. We don't like to be socially marginalized, do we? We want to be on the in-crowd with the in-group. Well, Moses could have had it. He could have had the riches of Egypt and not had a thing to worry about in this world. But he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Would you choose rather to be mistreated with the people of God? And, and you can imagine how the first century Hebrews would have heard that. Because right there, there's a little turn of the, of the key. The people of God. Who are the people of God? Well, the people of the Old Covenant in first century Jerusalem were considering themselves the peop to be the, the, true, the people of God. Right? And these, these Jesus people over here were just wackos, just run off the rails, you know, gotten involved in some kind of a cult. Ah. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The mistreated people were the people of God. The people of God, that is, believers in Jesus Christ, were the ones who were being mistreated. And the fact that they were being mistreated did not mean that they weren't the people of God. You know, and that was part of the mockery of Egypt. Well, I mean, if your God is so great, if your God is the only true and living God, if, you're, if your God is the creator of heaven and earth, how come you're a bunch of slaves in Egypt? Got it? Got it? You can hear that same kind of critique. That kind of mockery today, that kind of reproach. Well, if your God is so great, how come this? How come that? How come this? How come that? That's the reproach which the world 
will always hurl against us. Did they not say to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then come down from that cross. Right? So who are you going to identify with? The world with its pomp and glory and power or with Jesus Christ and Him crucified in shame, reproach, and humiliation. Where are you going to be? With the riches of Egypt? Or mistreated together with the people of God? Of God? Moses, verse 26, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. What a statement. What a statement. Moses knew where the true treasure lay and where the greater treasure lay. The treasure which moth and rust cannot consume and thieves cannot steal. Where is your heart? Where your treasure is there, your heart shall be also. For he was looking to the reward. There it is. He was looking, he was looking, he was looking to the reward. Right? Things not seen. See how this theme comes up over and over again? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Moses was convinced that there was a reward that he could not see. But he was sure of it. And so by faith, it says, verse 27, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, and listen to this, say it out loud with me. Come on, verse 27, the last little bit. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. See how, see how the preacher to the Hebrews picking up that theme over and over and over again. Brothers, sisters, true Christian biblical faith is not blind. True Christian biblical faith is that grace granted unto us by which we may see Him who is invisible. It's a paradoxical statement. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. By faith, Moses, by faith in the command of God, 
That's what it is. You've got you to fill in the blank. By faith in the command of God, who had told Moses to get the elders together of the people and to sacrifice a lamb for each family unit and place the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? By faith in the Word of God, by faith in what God had told him to do. And look, Moses didn't say, what? What do you want me to do? What? I mean, I get that idea of a sacrifice. I get that, and you know, it's got to be a perfect lamb, and I get that, and, and we're going to eat, and it's going to be an act of faith. But what, is that? what do you mean? I've got to put the blood on the doorpost? What? What is this? No. No, 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 no. None of that. None of that. None of that. We worship God as God commands us to worship Him in His Word. By faith in the Word of God, by faith in what God said, therefore Moses obeyed, in faith and kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You can read all about that in Exodus chapter 14. By faith in the command of God through Moses, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Um, and you know, the, again, you've got to think about the pressure on the first century Hebrew Christians to go back, go back, go back. Go back to the old covenant ways. Go back to the temple. Go back to the Levitical priesthood. Go back to the Mosaic law in every detail for the ground of your justification. Go back, go back, go back. Well, the Israelites, as soon as they got out of Egypt, were feeling the same pressure. By the time they got to the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh and the Egyptian army coming upon them, they said, look, Moses, what, what have you done now? You brought us out here to be killed? Why, we might as well have died in Egypt. Let's go back. No. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the waters parted. The waters parted not because they had faith. You sometimes get that cart before the horse. The waters parted because that was God's sovereign act. And it was by faith in God's word and his command that then the Israelites walked in between those walls of water. You want me to do what? How long do you reckon this water's going to stand up like this? By faith in the word of God, the command of God through Moses, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. And that promise of God did not apply to the Egyptian soldiers. And as soon as they hit the, hit the mud, it was over. 
All right. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Well, again, we have this S-Y-N-T-A-X syntax construction. You know, the preacher's on a roll. By faith, by faith, by faith. The walls of Jericho didn't have faith. That's not the point. (laughs) Of course not. But by faith, the Israelites, under the command of Joshua, who spoke the word of the Lord to them, The Israelites, by faith in the Word of God, did what the Word of God commanded them to do, and thus the walls of Jericho fell. And by the way, you know, that was the first major event, their entrance into the land, into the promised land. But it was it was by they did it by faith, that is to say, in obedience to, trusting in the Word of God. And the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Well, you can read about that in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, and then Uh, later on in Joshua chapter 6. So Rahab was this Gentile prostitute in Jericho who, as you know, uh, believed the word of the, the angels of the Lord who came there and uh, hid them and And that was her act of faith in the word of the Lord. Let me just quickly demonstrate that for you. I'll read from Joshua 2. You don't need to turn there. But um, here we go. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, sorry, I said angels, it wasn't angels. Just Joshua sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So that was a lie, but it didn't violate God's commandment. Uh, because it would, uh, it would have served the purpose of evil if she had told them the truth. Anyway, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Well, anyway, then later on, this is the point I wanted to get to. Uh, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's a Gentile, but she believed God's covenant promise that the land of Canaan was going to be given to the descendants of Abraham. Now think about that. You've got to do the math on that. 
This is a Gentile believing God's covenant promise. Let me say it again. This is a Gentile believing God's covenant promise. What does that make her? It makes her a believer in the gospel. A Gentile. And the fear of you has fallen upon us and all that the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Your God is the God of the heavens above and the earth below. That's, a, that's an affirmation of faith. She was a believer. She believed. That's what it means when it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. It wasn't simply that she did the good deed of hiding the Israelite soldiers. The fact that she hid the Israelite soldiers, which was a good thing to do. And in fact, it was a good deed in that sense. But it was the fruit of her faith in what God had said. Do you get this? It was the fruit of her faith in what God had said. The God of heaven and the God of earth has given this land to the Israelites. And I believe it. There it is, living by faith. All right, and then it goes on at verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me. He, the preachers look, just looked at his watch. You know what, I, every now and then, I, well, I just don't have time to go into that. <laughs> right? And you're, you're, you're sitting out there thinking, mm, preacher, I don't think you got time to go into that. Ooh, preacher, come on. All right. What more shall I say, preacher? Please don't say too much more. Please. And by the way, time does fail me. I'm about to get to our hour. I may be out there right now. I don't know. But anyway, hang in here with me just a little bit more. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Those are the judges. See what he's done? He started, he started with Abel, and he, so he, he went from, from Abel to, to Noah, or to Moses. He went from Abel, well, he went from Abel to Abraham, then he went from Abraham to Moses, and now he's going from Moses to Christ, Moses to us. He's kind of breaking it down in world history epochs. From Abel to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, and Moses and beyond. All right, so now we're in the Judges. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and then David, Samuel, and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Probably a reference to Daniel. Remember that favorite story? Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. You know, just he's just sort of 
saying to them, hey, y'all know your Old Testament scriptures. You know what the mighty men of David did, and so on and so forth. Women received back their dead by resurrection. You remember, I don't have time to tell you the story about Elijah and the widow. Uh, in in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, I don't have the story at the time to tell you about Elisha. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, right? But y'all know those stories. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. The believers during the exile was a terrible, horrible thing to be carried away by the Babylonians who were just horrid brutes and the Assyrians. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. Some people think that this is a reference to the prophet Isaiah. There is a legend, I mean, it, it, may, it may be historical, it may be not, we do not have it in scripture, we do not know, but there is a, a kind of Jewish uh, legend, some believe it to be true, others don't, about the fact that King Manasseh, or about the, 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 a story of King Manasseh sawing the prophet Isaiah in two. We don't, we don't know about that, but there's at least that reference. Some were sawn in two. And they were even killed with the sword. What I want you to see in this passage, though, brothers, is that look, look what happened. Look, I want you to go back through this. Right? What more shall I say to tell a Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Sammy the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, yea, enforced justice, yea, obtained promises, yea, stopped the mouths of lions, that's right, quenched the power of fire, go to it, escape the edge of the sword, you bet we did, were made strong out of weakness, hallelujah, became mighty in war, yes sir, put armies to flight, beat them to death. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Hallelujah! Some were tortured. Huh? Some were tortured. People of faith. People in the same category that we had just read about. People of faith were tortured, refusing to accept release. They were so that they might rise again to a better life, a better resurrection, a life they could not see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Oh, you, so you mean that they, 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 they submitted themselves to death, they didn't, they didn't fall away from the faith, they didn't, they didn't back down, they didn't recant, they, they didn't squirrel out in the end, uh-uh, they didn't. So, so they got executed, yeah, because they had the conviction of things not seen that they would rise again to a better life, right. Others suffered mocking and flogging, you mean that might happen to me? It might. Chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. 
They were killed with a sword. Well, where was God in the middle of all that? He was right there in the middle of it. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Of course, the world regarded them as not worthy of being in the world. But the unseen reality was that this fallen, sinful, corrupt, God-hating world was not worthy of them. Are you on the right side of upside down? This is the biblical perspective. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And what I, want you to, what I want you to hear in this concluding paragraph, we're not quite finished, is I want you to hear what is written right here, it, what I've just gone through in Hebrews 11. I want you to hear it echoed in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And by the way, brothers, God justifies those who believe what He says. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now I want you to hear Hebrews 11. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake O God we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered just like those on the downside of the last paragraph of Hebrews 11. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I am sure. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that great affirmation circles right back and ties in to the very last Verses of 11, Hebrews 11. All these, all these people who lived by faith in the Word of God, though commended through their faith in the Word of God, they received commendation, they are heroes of the faith, they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive it. 
in their earthly temporal life. They never received it. Closest they ever got was just a few fleeting years in the reign of King David, and it didn't last for long. And it was messed up before too long. They never saw it. Why? Since God had provided something better for us. The revelation of His love in Jesus Christ, which is more powerful than any power, visible or invisible, on earth, including death, so that we can be sure that there is nothing in all of creation, not even death itself, which can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our Old Testament brothers and sisters of faith, about whom we have read, they didn't, they didn't enter into that glory apart from us. They didn't enter into the perfection, their perfection in the perfect kingdom of God. Why? Because God ordained that it all should wait until the full revelation of His grace, His power, His glory in Christ Jesus. Now it's been fully revealed. Now we know where the true promised land is. And it isn't a little strip of dirt in the Middle East. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has, been, he has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance. An inheritance? You bet. Well, that's kind of like inheriting the land, isn't it? You bet. You bet it is. The land. The new heavens. The new earth. The new creation. In which righteousness dwells. An inheritance. Which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I looked and behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Life everlasting in a creation free from sin, death, decay, a true exodus a true promised land, a true life in communion with God and all of His people, in everlasting love, joy, peace, righteousness, and we're going to share together with Abel and Enoch and Noah Abraham and Sarah and on and on through all those believing saints of Hebrews, heroes of Hebrews 11 and all those that have come since then 
and all those true believers who come after us. We're going to receive it together through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has told you that. Do you believe him? Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in your your great goodness. Help us now to believe what you say and give us the grace and the strength to persevere, to run the race set before us, not to fall back, not to shrink back, to live with the assurance of that which you have told us we may certainly hope for, with a conviction of those things not seen which you have revealed to us in your word. Father, and especially in these days, may we draw near to the cross of Jesus and give thanks for his sacrifice for us and the power and the victory of his resurrection from the dead. So by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling with us and within us, not only as individuals, but as a a community of people, a a community called by your name, your church, we may live as the citizens of heaven even now on earth and live as the light of the world, following him who is the true light, the light which shines in the darkness which the world can never overcome. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Hallelujah to your name. Amen.